Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On Saturday the 24th of April, Dave Emmett taught two sessions at Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the first of those sessions where Dave gave us an overview of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Dave is a, currently a theology lecturer at St Miletus College in Liverpool. Let's take a listen to the session. Morning everyone, um, really good to see you. As, um, as Andy says, um, you are the, the remnant, I feel, um, <laughs> the holy ones who um, have resisted temptations to uh, book away, uh, you know, a day or go to the beer garden at lunch, you're here and uh, increased options means as, as I don't know, um, something about you. Hang on, let's put this onto gallery view. I think strange times we've been living through, isn't it? And um, just, you know, where you talk to yourself, as, as Andy says, and um, I keep it on gallery view so I can actually see who I'm talking to. I do, I do uh, appreciate that. And um, anyway, um, myself, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, my name's Dave. I'm married to Philippa, and she's hopefully going to bring me in a coffee at some point soon. She's just popped out. We're in a, in a bed and breakfast at the moment. Um, uh, homeless, uh, the, the builders have moved into our house to, and ripped it apart. So we live in uh, West Lanx, Maudsley, um, and at the moment we're in Horwich, uh, but moving to my daughter's as soon as we finish this session, packing up and my daughter's going to take us in for the next next month. We've been five weeks here. Um, yeah, um, was a yeah sort of quick story of me. Um, lived in Congo for 10 years, missionary in Congo for 10 years, uh, came back, was part of King's Church, which is part of the Covenant Ministries Network. Um, and then uh, around about two years ago, started working for St. Miletus and have moved across to the Anglican Church. Now I'm part of um, an Anglican Church where I work part-time as the pastoral coordinator, St. John's in Bursco in West Lanx. So, yeah. So I've been given Paul's letters, um, nine of them to, to, to speak about today on the first session. Um, obviously, I've not been given Romans because of this dubious move to the Anglican Church. How could, how could you ask someone who's in the Anglican Church to teach on Romans 6? And he's nodding his head. What do, what do Anglicans know about water baptism? You know, what, what, what could they talk about that? Um, uh, but apart from Romans 1, 2 Corinthians and Ephesians, we're going to look at Paul's letters. Uh, today. It says this in Proverbs chapter 1, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And uh, my prayer for us this morning is, is as we go through Paul's letters and then look at Jesus, I mean, what, what's that like talking about Jesus for an hour? Um, but just, you know, as we, we, we look at the, you know, that we do increase in learning and that, you know, this morning is far more than just filling our minds with information, but it's something of a spiritual act of worship mm -hmm as we seek to just lay our lives down before the Lord and love him with all our minds, um, as, as he's called us to do, that there's something of that happen. So um, I've prayed and just, you know, I want to just push straight into it now. And you've hopefully all got the handout I sent, which I don't know how you want to use it. You might have it printed off, or you might have it on your screen. And um, 
just be be ready to 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 you know fill in bits and pieces as you want or bold underline delete <laughs> whatever you want to do with it but it's there for you and hopefully it's useful for you so we're looking at um paul's letters uh, as i say apart from <laughs> romans 1 and 2 corinthians and ephesians and first of all, I just want to talk a little bit about letter writing in New Testament times, because obviously today, letter writing is a lost art. People do mm. emails and get in a letter. I mean, hands up if you got a letter. When was the last year? If you got a letter through the post, a uh, handwritten letter in, in, in 2021. I mean, um, I don't see anybody uh, acknowledge. Well, well, yeah, Jill, you get a letter. You had a letter, did you? That's amazing. Um, it's it's like a dying art form, isn't it? Letter writing. Mm-hmm. Well, in Paul's day, um, private letters were written, um, but you had this expense and difficulty of writing on papyrus writing sheets uh, of paper so it w- wasn't easy it wasn't e- as easy even as sort of getting a piece of paper right you, you took some time to write a letter and the average size length of a letter was around about 90 words um i put in the handout there people like cicero or seneca the greek philosopher they'd write more than that and so they'd write you know they, they could be up to around 200 words on average uh, but the average length of paul's letters was about 1300 words the average one um it's the 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 range goes from 335 words in his shortest letter philemon to uh 7100 over 7100 in romans so what paul actually did when he started writing letters is um people have said he invented really a new uh, literary form, the epistle. This was was groundbreaking stuff to write such lengthy letters. People wrote books or whatever or stories, but as far as letters went, this is something new. And so the the epistle um, was was a new literary form. Um, Now, what Paul would do and what people did who, who had um, letters, <laughs> letter writing, they'd write, they, they wouldn't necessarily, they'd rarely write themselves. And so they used to dictate the letters to a professional scribe called an amenuens- amenuensis. Um, and the amenuensis, the, the spelling of it is in, in, in your notes there, would take down the letter in a form of shorthand. They wouldn't, they wouldn't spend the time while Paul was dictating it. They'd write it down in shorthand and then later on would write it up. And the author would then be given the letter just to edit it and check it. And sometimes would then put a conclusion on or greetings in their own handwriting at the end. And so um, this was this was what Paul did in any case. We know that we can see. And uh, he tells us, for example, we're not looking at Romans today, but in, in Romans, it was Tertius, an amenuensis called Tertius, who wrote down the letter. He says that in Romans 16, 22. It was, it was, it was Tertius who wrote the letter. And the final greeting, Paul puts it in Corinthians, Galatians, Colossians and Thessalonians. Uh, you can see how Paul puts the final greeting in his own hand and he'll say, I'm writing this. Sometimes he points it out. And um, the only letter, there is one letter where he admits to writing it completely in his own hand, not using a scribe. Any guesses which letter that was? Or perhaps you know. Um, well, it was the shortest one, Philemon. Paul actually did all of all my own work. I haven't used an amenuensis. Um, now, 
what do you think? Because what's interesting is some people sometimes pick up the Bibles and say, wow, this is, um, it's like Wayne Grudem's systematic theology or, or uh, you know, um, you know, other systematic theologies, Millard Erickson's systematic theology or whatever. They sometimes pick up the Bible and say, I'm going to find out about what we should believe about this or that. When it comes to letters, uh, it, it's it, in amongst the world religions, um, this is this is unique uh, to have letters, epistles. What, what, what do you what do you think? Uh, uh, what do you think about letters as a as a as, as a form of writing in scripture? What any thoughts? Anybody want to have a think about that? And what do you think about advantages, disadvantages? If it's written down, you can always go back to it, which is lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's better from, than a Zoom talk. Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's like a testament, isn't it, Carol and Dave? It's something, as you say, you can go back to. It's a testament, definite testament. That can be put in in a museum, even and and saved. I know there's some in Brooklyn Museum in um, in America. Um, Nehemiah, uh, some letters that he wrote that somebody's found, and the actual letter is in Brooklyn Museum. So that's an amazing thing. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not one of Paul's letters, but if you go to, um, what is it, on uh, Deansgate in Manchester, the um, you can find a little fragment of um, a, a script. It's a copy, obviously, it's not the original, but a, a copy of um, 1 Peter or 2 Peter, I always forget which one it is, but it's a little bit with a verse on there that's a, you know, a very sort of um, early copy, one of the earliest copies. Yeah, you can, you can archive them, you can file them. But in, in terms of a form of writing, what else do we think? These are all good points. And, and any other thing? What, what's, the, what's the difference, say, between a, a letter? Um, now, I don't think New Frontiers has, um, when I was in Assemblies of God, we, I knew there was always the doctrinal statement or the doctrinal view, and it was just written down very clearly, this is what we believe. Um, but when you come to letters, there's something different about that. It's not a council that has decided this is what we believe. What, what's involved in these letters of Paul? What do, you, what do you think are involved in that? It's quite personal. Yep, yep, that's, that's true. It, it, it's living, isn't it? I think it's, is, is, yeah, personal. It's living, it's real, nitty gritty, you know, life issues are thrown up in the letter and what, what it, it, it's got that life to it and uh, um, an energy to it that you wouldn't have if you suddenly ask Paul, will you write down now the doctrinal statement for anyone who's in your apostolic band? Uh, here it is, we believe this, bullet points, second point, third point, fourth point. It's all stuff that is worked out in real living issues. And so, um, you know, it, it makes a, a statement of, of Christian experience that uh, just remains, although we have some work to do, and there is a theological task, we call it, there's some work for us to do when we read Paul's letters. We're, we're reading letters. We're opening somebody else's mail. Um, they weren't addressed to us. They were addressed to somebody else. We're opening up somebody else's mail, and our job is to interpret, and with the help of the same spirit that inspired Paul to dictate in most cases, those letters to a scribe and for a scribe to accurately write it down. Our call is to 
is with the help of the same spirit to interpret. What does that mean to us today? So what? What does that mean today? And that so what question is one, even as we look through um, Paul's letters today, is one we want to keep on asking ourselves, so what? <laughs> uh, so what does that mean for me today, living in Stockport, in Birmingham, uh, you know, wherever it is, Gorton? What does it mean for us today um, in, in, in getting ready, Carol, to, 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 to move house? It is Carol who's moving, isn't it? Um, yeah. So what, what does it what does it mean? Does it mean anything for me today? Or is this just something that was 2000 years ago roundabout? Um, so the letters of Paul, um, commonly called the Pauline letters, when you read that, don't think Pauline wrote them. <laughs> it's the Pauline letters. Um, but, you know, they're a major part of the New Testament. 13 out of 21 letters um, are from Paul. Um, nine are addressed to seven Gentile churches in Rome, Corinth, to Corinth got two, Ephesus, we're not doing that today, nor the one to Rome, Galatia, Philippi, Colossia, and Thessalonica, which got two. And four letters are addressed to individuals, Timothy, who got two, Titus, and um, Philemon. So before we look at the letters, uh, just remind ourselves of the life of Paul um so what what do we know about paul his his youth and uh, you know how what, what what was his family situation where did he grow up Saul. if you think of his is is uh, the other name of saul because he's got two names saul and paul what was saul of tarsus, tarsus. tarsus. Yay. that's right saul of tarsus um, tarsus so that's where he was born where he grew up um, he was a, remember what sort of citizenship he'd got? He was a Roman citizen mm -hmm. in a Roman province, Cilicia, in Tarsus. And what we know about Tarsus, it was a center of learning. And it's highly likely that Paul received a Greek education there. That Roman Greek world was just about, that his education was in Greek. And so you can, Acts 17, 28 and Titus 1, 12 tell us that. And while in, while in, in, in Tarsus, he, he probably almost certainly had a Greek education growing up in a, as a Roman citizen there in a Roman province. Um, and he learned a job, which was? Tents. Yeah. Tent making. Tent making, Tent yes, that was it. Oh, uh, yes, tent making, getting ready for all those Bible weeks you went to in Stone Lee, it wasn't it? It's NFI, yeah. but tent making, learn tent making. And at some point, though, his family moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem, where because he was a Jew, even though he you know, a Roman citizen from the tribe of Benjamin, he received his religious education in Judaism under a very famous um, rabbi, uh, Gamaliel, who you read about in Acts 22, verse 3. And so you've got this guy, Roman citizen, very good education, comes to Jerusalem, and he's got this brilliant teacher, Gamaliel, teaching him. And um, his sharp mind, he's got this sharp mind, religious zeal, it, it caused him, he says in Galatians 1, verse 4, that he advanced above, beyond his peers in Judaism. So he's an up-and-coming star in the world of Judaism. He's a rising star. And, um, and then as a young Pharisee, he was there present, wasn't he, when Stephen was stoned, holding the coats of those that stoned him. He enthusiastically persecutes the emerging church communities and sees them that you're deviating from Orthodox Judaism. 
Um, and he goes on, extends his campaign to Damascus, but on the way there, you know what happened. He just had this life-changing encounter with the risen Christ, from which point all that past learning, all that past sort of the coincidences of being a Roman citizen, classical Greek education, uh, all, all, all of that, that being taught by Gamaliel, a top-notch teacher in the world of Judaism, all of that was suddenly transformed and all of those uh, past experiences were channeled into the cause of Christ and his kingdom. The wonderful Damascian experience that he had is something we, we, we just um, love, a classic conversion, if ever there was one. Um, just stop and think, just give you a minute to think, what is there about your past that God can use and is using? There are things that God can use about your past and uh, just learn you're in the right now holy spirit show us we pray uh, things from our past that we might think are, are, are perhaps hindrances or you know that god can say i can use that for my glory i can use that there are things that he can use um his early ministry um you know he he spent three years in arabia and damascus uh, uh, and then um barnabas introduces it's barnabas that apostle of encouragement who introduces him to the apostles in Jerusalem. And there is a plot against him, and he has to depart and spends the next 10 years or so in Cilicia and Syria, uh, mainly in the towns back to Tarsus and Antioch. And once the news of the gospel's arrival in Antioch reached Jerusalem, Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to check it out, check what Saul is doing here. Uh, and he brought Saul from Tarsus to work with him for about a year, establishing new Christians, we read in Acts 11. And um, they go together to a famine-stricken church in Judea, um, after which uh, they, they were set apart, Acts 13, set apart prophets and, and, and teachers there and, and amongst them with the set apart to apostolic ministry with a laying on of hands and prophetic words and then they do their journeys which you can look at the maps in the back of your bibles for that and then jerusalem paul um you know he'd gone with an offering for the poor and the judaizers if you remember at the end of acts they accused him of violating the temple and stirred up a riot so he was in custody for two years in caesarea and Paul defended himself against the Roman governor Felix, uh, replacement Festus, and King Herod Agrippa. And to protect himself from the Jews who were clearly out to get him, and they were setting ambushes to get him uh, and people to come uh, uh, and get him a whole horse, a uh, whole pile of soldiers, Roman soldiers, took him in the end to Rome for his own safety. But he spent two years there under house arrest before being released to travel to places mentioned in many of his letters, Crete, Macedonia, Greece, and furthest west Spain. Um, and then he was finally uh, reincarcerated in Rome and executed under Emperor Nero in around about 67 or 68 AD. Um, if you look at the, on your notes, I've just sort of set you a little task. Just if you could, um, go into breakout rooms, just get you talking to each other for a minute or two. Um, Paul's house, can you see where in the notes it's breakout one? Uh, Paul's house arrest in Rome didn't stop him propagating his gospel. Look at the following passage in Acts that describe his activities under house arrest and summarise his content 
uh, of his teaching to both the Jews and Gentiles. So you've got the Jews, just a couple of verses for you to look up, and the Gentiles. And just have a quick look. Think about some of the things we've been saying. And just uh, if you can just have a quick, uh, just five minutes, and then we'll come back together again after five minutes. Have a look at that and say, we're trying to summarize what did Saul, what was the focus of his teaching ministry to the Jews? What was his focus teaching of his ministry to the Gentiles? Just short answers. You'll need just, just three minutes. We'll do it. Just have a look. But get into groups if we can, Andy. That would be great. Okay, so um, just chip in, everyone. I love it when we talk uh, together. Uh, makes it a really nice atmosphere, that. But um, so what did you find out? So the question was, um, is, uh, you know, what was the content? Can you summarize the content of his teaching to, to the way it was different between the Jews and the Gentiles? Um, so to the Jews first, what, what did he talk about to the Jews? You can even quote the verse if you want. He was he wasn't teaching about the law like they would have been familiar with. He was he was teaching about the kingdom of God and and that would have troubled them and, and their hearts were hardened, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Verses 26, 27 says it all, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so yeah, that all good points. Yeah, they would have been troubled by what he, he said, wouldn't they? Um, yeah, uh, and what was he trying to convince them about? He, he taught them, that's right, he declared to them, it says, wasn't it, about the kingdom of God. But how was he going to convince them about the kingdom of God? They needed to open their hearts and their minds to yeah. something new. They were closed, they were hard. And so there were also prophecies, weren't there? That he was talking about the, the, the word or the law being fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. No, spot on, Carol. Yeah, that's right. It was, if you look at, if you all just have a quick look at verse 23, I think it summarizes it, what his teaching to the, the Jews was about. Um, you know, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So, yeah, that was, I'm, I want to tell you about Jesus, but because you're Jew and I've, I understand your background, listen. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a top-notch. I've got the best. I'm Gamaliel was my teacher. Um, I've got this, you know, great education, and, and I was a, you know, rising star in, in what you're in. And uh, I'm going to tell you about about Jesus, but I'm convincing you from the law and the prophets. I'm using what you know to yeah. convince you about something that you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's something isn't there um what we were talking before about god using our past is i think god uses even things that we do know that we seemingly might feel i'm an expert in having a hard life or i'm an expert in this issue or that issue that i've been through god said i'll use that to convince you about something that you don't know something new and it's interesting even as we're going into a new season now uh, coming out of lockdown for every one of us in this Zoom room. There's a new season opening up for us. And I think God will even say to us, you know, even some of this stuff that you've been through in lockdown, restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, but I'm going to do it by, uh, you know, using, convincing you from what you've been through. So don't be discouraged ever, will you? You know, God uses our past and God, Paul, even wanted to use the past history of the Jewish people to convince them about something new. And so to the Gentiles... Um, what did he, what was he, you know, what's the key thing he 
taught the Gentiles. Somebody want to look at verse 31? Well, he, he said um, he, he, was, he was teaching them and they didn't have any baggage. They didn't have any baggage about the law. So they were probably a, a little bit more open um, than the Jewish congregations or co communities were uh, to his teaching. Mm. Yep. Yep. I mean, the, the, the Gentiles would have had all sorts of, um, yeah, you're right. They didn't have any of the Jewish um, past history but they did have their own bits of baggage. They would have been involved in some, you know, different and, and different people, different places had different gods, didn't they, of different kinds. Uh, but he came and I think verse 30, you're right though, um, that they, they were free, it didn't have to go start going through all the, you know, the law and the prophets with the Gentiles uh, so much. Um, you know, in verse 31 perhaps is the key one. He preached the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the title for this morning is it's all about Jesus and that was what Paul really was all about it's about Jesus Jew Gentile I'm going to tell you about Jesus Gen Jew I'm going to use past history uh, uh, and prophets and, uh, and, and the law Gentiles I'm still going to tell you all about Jesus and finding ways to do it um because okay, it's so, Pardon? Sorry? Because it's for all. It's for Jews yeah, and Gentiles. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and Paul said, become all things to all people so that Christ might be known. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at the letters of Paul, and we must move on a bit here. Um, so Paul's letters uh, follow a standard form for letters in the first century. Sender's name, name of recipient and a general greeting. Main body of a letter, conclusion, uh, a greeting, sending of good wishes. We'll, we'll, we'll see... Um, how that varies. Some are very structured. Some of the personal ones in particular are just quite chatty and there isn't a clear structure to them. There's plenty of stuff for us to look at. Um, now, in our what is our present day New Testament, the order of books that we get our Bible in, um, uh, uh, you know, is a fairly modern um, thing in comparatively. But the, the, in the New Testament, the way uh, the books are put in order. Paul's letters are arranged in descending order of length rather than when they were written chronologically. So it's not according to the date, it's according to the length. So the longest one's first, the shortest one last. Um, so if you look at the table I've put in the, the update, th these are Paul's letters in chronological order. I'm not going to go through them uh, like that, but you can just see them. It's maybe something for you to look at. It's only a thing I've got off the internet, uh, really. But you see Galatians was the earliest one. Uh, uh, then Thessalonians was second. Corinthians, uh, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and then the pastoral letters, which come after Acts has been written. And then in his second and final Roman imprisonment, that's when 2 Timothy is, is written, when he's about to die, and we'll get on to that. Um, so we're going to look at the nine books, not in that chronological order, but the order in which they appear in the New Testament. Um, we're not looking, as we keep saying, at Ephesians, Corinthians and Romans. Uh, but another way, just to put it there in the notes for you, another way to order them is in categories, the journey letters, letters he wrote on journeys, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Thessalonians, the letters he wrote in prison, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and the pastoral letters, Timothy to Timothy Titus. So let's just plunge straight in and let's, let's get on this, uh, get it moving. Galatians, um, uh, it's... it's uh, 
Paul, you know, Sidlow Baxter, I don't know if anyone's recommended it to you, but a, a book, it's a classic, it's a classic book, Explore the Book by Joe um, Sidlow Baxter, is um, he says in that that um, you should read Romans to be grounded in Christian doctrine, read Corinthians to be guided in Christian practice, and read Galatians to be guarded against deceptive error. And um, so this statement points to the heart of what Paul's letter to the Galatians is all about. The church had embraced a subtle, very subtle perversion of the gospel. Um, you know, Holy Spirit gets some red lights, warning lights flashing in our minds because that isn't what we keep saying. This isn't just for back then. It's for us today. Are there things that come into our hearts and minds where the gospel can be perverted? Um, the Galatian error, if we want to call it that, is still present um, in, in modern Christianity. It can be it's present in my life and it can come and it can go. And we need to be on our guard all the time. Let's just briefly, the background to Galatians um, is, is, is interesting. I mean, Galatians is the only letter that Paul addresses to several churches in an area. Galatia, remember, wasn't a town. Nobody, you know, it was a region uh, containing several sizable towns. Interestingly, Galatians were, were people of Celtic origin who migrated from Gaul, present day France, into Asia Minor, modern Turkey. And before 25 BC, Galatia was the region in north central Turkey where they lived. After that, uh, when the area came under Roman domination, uh, a province was established called Galatia that went further south to include uh, some of the well-known cities that Paul visited, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. Now, Paul wrote then to, to this province of churches, several churches in this, in this province, and the book was probably written from Syrian Antioch, the other Antioch, Paul's home base, uh, AD 48-49, where he was. <laughs> just before the Council of Jerusalem uh, in Acts 15. Um, he, we, we say that because if the book had been written later, he would have referred to, surely he'd have referred to the decision of the Council of Jerusalem uh, because it you know, deals with the issues that are dealt with in this letter. So the overview of Galatians, what are we saying about Galatians? Many of the early believers being of Jewish origin They'd converted, they'd become Christians, they'd become believers, but they'd brought with them some of their Judaistic practices through into their life of Christians. It's all, it's all very well and good for us to say, well, you didn't need to do that. You didn't, but just put yourself in their picture. Generations before, they'd been reading the Torah, they'd been, you know, been this whole Judaistic system. It's not surprising if you really give them, if you're a bit generous in your thinking, it's not surprising that they would carry some of it. And so attendance at the synagogue, the offering of sacrifice, observance of, you know, the, the dietary rules and regulations, and also being a little bit aloof from the Gentiles. Remember, it's generations. You were the chosen people. You were the special ones. Um, uh, you know, you, you've got, they've got the Jose Mourinho <laughs> syndrome, but, but, but with regard to a whole you know, we are the best, we are the special ones, and now these Gentiles are coming in, uh, we're not so sure about this. And so the questions that began to cop, cop up is, shouldn't these Gentile Christians submit to circumcision and practice a Jewish way of life? If they're going to worship our God and we're doing this, surely they should do what we're doing. 
And, and really, aren't they second class? If they're not embracing what we believe completely, um, should they be a bit like, yeah, well, we, we'll say that, that a bit like the, we had God fearers in Judaism. So we'll have sort of second class Christians in Christianity. Um, and, and, and the big issue that was is, is raised in this letter is, is what actually makes a person a Christian? Is it faith in Christ alone? Or is it faith in Christ plus some of the principles and practices of Judaism? Um, this is still an issue today for many of us, I believe, is what is it that makes you and I, uh, you know, you and me, a Christian? It, is it faith in Christ alone or is it faith plus, 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 uh, you know, some extra things we like to tag on? Um, so the so-called Judaizers insisted that faith in Christ alone wasn't enough. They, 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 they came in, this group came into the um, Galatian churches and they tried to compel Gentile Christians to be circumcised, the men, and to practice all of them, to practice other aspects of Judaism. Uh, anyone who didn't do that, you're not a true Christian. And, um, you know, you can read, it's Acts 15 and Paul's letter to the Galatians, really, um, that, that, that gives the answer to these questions. It, it was a serious issue because if the Judaizers won the day, the message of salvation through faith in Christ alone would be totally subverted. Um, people would be bound and locked up by restrictive laws of Judaism and would never enjoy the true freedom, the true happiness that Christ has won for his people. And so Paul really, to coin a phrase, gets gritty with the Galatians. Um, he, he's brimming with righteous indignation. This is Paul at his most het up. Paul at his most, I'm so um, upset about this. He's not fretting. He calls them, you know, he, he doesn't spare them much at times. If you read the letter to Galatians, uh, he's saying to them, you know, you, this is crazy. Please, 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 whatever you do, don't be so stupid, you foolish Galatians, he calls them. Don't be so daft keep to the pure gospel of God's free grace as opposed to a gospel of works. And so his arguments, we've got, uh, you know, this is the, the what's in his letter. He opens up with this, um, just expressing his astonishment. How can you so quickly desert the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turn to a different gospel? This is a different gospel. Come on, guys, what are you doing? Um, and he says in, in verses eight to nine, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Um, just repeats it. It is really worked up and he hasn't had a coffee. Um, or maybe, maybe he had. Anyway, um, so Paul then. He, he, he defends the gospel of grace. First of all, he defends it autobiographically, autobiographically. Um, so he uses his own personal experience to defend the gospel of grace. He says, look, I was a zealous Jew. I, 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 I kept all the principles and practices of Judaism. You can read about that in 13 and 14 of chapter one. I persecuted the church and I know from personal experience, how futile 
Uh, all of that is in relation to the gospel message of God's free grace. And he explains the gospel, his gospel, he calls it his gospel, is, is not based on Judaistic background, but on a direct revelation from Jesus, he says in verse 12. Um, and he says he discussed that. This is what happened with me. I discussed it with nobody for three years. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to meet Peter and James for a few days, he says in verses 18 to 19. A still longer period went by after that, 14 years, um, during which Paul's gospel became well established without any major influence at all from the apostles in Jerusalem. So it was Paul on his own. Apostles in Jerusalem weren't involved for 14 years. And this gospel became established. And after this period, um, he went to Jerusalem because he went to the apostles uh, to set before them the gospel he preached, just in case, he says in chapter 2, verse 2, notice the humility and the accountability of Paul, just in case I was something was wrong, I went to check it out with the apostles, chapter 2, verse 2. And um, significantly, very significantly, he says in verse 6 of chapter 2, they added nothing. They added nothing to the message. And in verse 9, they added nothing to the message he'd been preaching for 14 years, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Um, in other words, what's he saying? This gospel I'm preaching is not it, it's part of the post-resurrection gospel of the risen Lord and Savior, and Peter and James and the other apostles are all part of it. Um, and on that same trip, we read in verse 3, when he went to Jerusalem to have it checked out, he took Titus with him. Um, we'll come Titus later on. Titus with him, who was a Greek and hadn't been circumcised, and the apostles, he says in chapter 2, verse 3, he points out, look, look at this. Titus wasn't circumcised. They didn't ask for him to be circumcised. Do you get it, you Galatians? Um, and he goes on to say, look, all right, you might say some of you, the Judaizers are all sort of, uh, perhaps they're quoting Peter as the arch conservative. He said, but I oppose Peter, uh, who was forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs, he says in 2 verse 14. And Peter listened to what I said. And as Jews of Peter and Paul, both of them were Jews, remember, Peter and Paul. Paul was a Jew. Both knew that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Because by observing the law, chapter 2, verse 16, by observing the law, no one will be justified. And so both Peter and Paul uh, affirm freedom from the law. So that was his storyline to defend it. And then he defends it theologically. Um, and that's in chapter three, uh, you know, uh, uh, here. So, so he says in the first five verses, he says, look, you guys, you began by faith. And now what, you, what are you doing? You're trying to continue by works. Um, it's, you know, we, we believe in faith. We accept the gospel in faith. And so many of us think we grow by sweat. We do not grow by sweat. We grow by faith. Uh, you believe in faith and you continue in faith. It's why you don't grow if you don't do it in faith. It's by faith we continue to grow in our Christian faith. He talks about Abraham in chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. He was justified by faith. And the same principle applies to you, he says. You're blessed because you believe the way he did. Um, and he says, you, you guys, if you're, if you're relying on keeping the law for your salvation, 
listen, you're actually under a course, a curse, because you, you can't keep it completely. Christ, however, he says in chapter 3, 10 to 14, Christ has redeemed us. He's bought us back. He's paid the price. We've been set free from the curse of the law. All who put their faith in him are set free from this. And um, the promise made to Abraham was made before, he says in chapter 3, 15 to 25, that promise was made before the Mosaic law was instituted. It was before ever Moses had been up Mount Sinai. Uh, there was no law when God made that promise to Abraham. Uh, the law wasn't given to save people, but rather to direct them to faith in Christ. And so he says, you know, now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. We could talk about that another time, this whole thing of having a, a pedagogue, a, a tutor to supervise you. We've not got that anymore. And then chapter 3, 26 to 4, 7, he says, faith in Christ actually makes you an adopted son and heir in God's family. You're, you're totally different form of, of relationship from that restrictive one that was there under the law. The old distinctions are broken. There is now neither Jew nor Greek, for you're all one in Christ. And then chapter 4, 8 to 10, he says, you've got to realize you're not being consistent. Um, you were slaves who found freedom, but you're about to go back into slavery by the teaching of the Judaizers. How daft! Don't go back into slavery when you've been set free. Um, and in chapter 4, 11 to 20, he sort of pleads with them to embrace what he's saying. Um, and when he first, as they did when, when he first visited them, um, he, he describes, I love this phrase here, he describes their anguish for them uh, as like being again, I'm, so, so I'm having a baby. <laughs> I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You're messing it up. Don't mess it up. Let Christ be formed in you. Um, so if the Galatians let themselves be circumcised, Christ will be no value at all. Chapter 5, verse 2, they'll, they, they, they've got to keep they'll have to keep the whole law and, and, and they will have fallen from grace by seeking to be justified by keeping the law. Listen, um, let me, let me, before we ask this question, actually. Um, so Paul's emphasis up to this point has been the freedom that stems from justification by faith um, in contrast to the bondage brought about by attempts to be justified by law keeping. Freedom from the law is a wonderful liberty but he now cautions against using that freedom in the wrong way. Don't think I'm free. I can do anything I like now. Um, freedom from the floor isn't a license to sin by indulging in the desires of the flesh, he says in chapter 5, 13 and 16. It's freedom. You're free to obey the law of Christ uh, so as to work out in everyday Christian life the principle, chapter 5, verse 14, of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, it, it's love is there. Um, the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other, and we must choose to walk in the way of the spirit. The fruit, fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit are obvious, chapter 5, 17 to 25. The one must be seen to be dead and the other alive in our lives. Now, before we look at the, 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 the we'll, we'll come back to that, um, fruit of the flesh, fruit of the spirit, just quickly, because we'll, we'll um, is what do you um, think in terms of, um, you know, we haven't got Judaizers coming into church meetings, gossiping to us at tea and coffee time that we need to get circumcised. 
But what are the subtle things that can come into our way of thinking that isn't going back to some mosaic law, but can be our the plus we put on the gospel? What is it can be that sort of legalism is the word we use sometimes where you think I, I'm, I'm saved by faith, but I'm going to grow by doing this or doing the other. What are the subtle things that can come? Is anyone want to um, be brave and say what things they've been tempted with in that way? As I, if I do this and they suddenly realize I'm not relying on Christ, I'm relying on my own good works here. Possibly having a quiet time in the morning you know reading your bible and when you don't have it you think oh no god's not gonna like me oh no this yeah that could be it i mean the, reading the bible is a great thing but when we make yeah. it about yeah no yeah that's great andy and then what happens because i've done this i'll put my hand up not read my bible i've not had my quiet time and so what's the little thought that comes into your mind it's, it doesn't matter. I can go and do. I can go and do whatever I want because I'm on that slippery slope. Uh, if you're going down, yeah. But sort of in terms of wanting to be justified, wanting to be right with God, what can happen sometimes when you've you've not done something? I didn't go. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't have a quiet time. So yeah. therefore, I need to repent a little bit extra. Yeah, yeah. I need to do something extra. Um, so um, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll pray double the time that I prayed yesterday, and um, and that'll make up for it somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, does anybody? Is it just me who has these sort of thoughts come no. through my mind sometimes? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Lots of you sort of um, shaking your heads, which I think means you agree. With, <laughs> I hope it means you agree with me. Otherwise, I am the only one. Um, but. But yeah, we, we, we build it up, don't we? And end up sort of, if I go to the, all right, I did, forgot to have my quiet time, but you know what? There's a church prayer meeting on tonight. I don't usually go to that. But if I go to that, somehow it'll make up for not having had my quiet time. <laughs> or, um, or the church has got this outreach on the shopping precinct on Wednesday. If I go to that, I probably won't even need to read my Bible for a couple of days. <laughs> you know, And we, we sort of work it out on bits of works. And before we know it, even, as, as Andy said, very good things. Of course, it's really good to read your Bible. Of course, it's wonderful to go to a prayer meeting. Of course, it's wonderful to join in a church outreach. Marvellous things to do. But if those things become our means of being accepted by God and our means of being liked by God, then suddenly we're entering into our own legalistic practices. Um, because what are we saying when we do that? We're saying the cross is not sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins and we're devaluing the whole work of Jesus at the cross by saying what you did Jesus thank you please come into my life be the Lord and Savior of my life or what you did wasn't enough really because when you said it is finished that was a joke wasn't it because I need to complete the work of salvation by adding on a few extra things here because it's I'm feeling bad and um and, and legalism can hit us as well. Sometimes when we feel low grade, we can think low grade guilt is a, a good thing to have. I'm keeping humble here because I'm always feeling guilty. Don't get me wrong. It's so important. We fear God. And in a sense that we're, we're, we're in awe of him, that we're terrified of him in one way. Um, but but, but we, we, we must revere and honor God. But, but, but at the same time, what we can subtly fall into is failing to understand the magnitude of what Jesus did at the cross and the grace of this cross and his 
resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit means we there's so much more freedom um, for us to enjoy than potentially we do do. So let's read Galatians, not misuse our Christian freedom, but carry on in that. Um, let's uh, just have a, a quick look um, and just go in just, just two minutes. And perhaps all you need to do is just um, read it out together. Um, just go back into a breakout room for a couple of minutes and look at Galatians 5, 19 to 23. And just, it's got it there on your handout, I think. Just have a look at the fruit of the flesh, fruit of the sinful nature, um, and just consider the fruit other people might see in your life just for a second. But just read it out. Just change your voice. Just go into a breakout room for literally two or three minutes. One of you read Galatians 5, 19 to 23. Just think about fruit of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Andy. So, so uh, I mean, all I wanted you to do there was just to look and to, and maybe it's something to do prayerfully, um, rather than in a breakout room on your own at some point, is to look and to look at those, um, you know, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control versus uh, the, the fruit of the flesh and say, what do you think? Honestly, honestly, put yourself in uh, the shoes of those who know you really well, uh, the people who know you better than most. Well, what's seen in our lives um, and, you know, just really, uh, you know, is, is a sign that just that living life in the spirit? Because it's interesting that this list is, is put in Galatians um, where it isn't about trying hard. There's other letters like to the, you know, Thessalonians where it's flee from evil, you know, resist temptation and all of that. But, but this is so much more about the grace of God and the goodness and kindness of God and um, that actually the fruit of the Spirit can be seen in our lives when we're accepting, just receiving, taking by faith what grace offers, we receive in all God's goodness, can result in the fruit of the Spirit being manifest in our lives far more than when we're really working hard, gritting our teeth and trying so hard to do this, that or the other. Um, so, the, you know, Paul says, you know, that, that, that liberty in chapter six, just finishing off Galatians, that liberty of life in the spirit will find, you know, outward expression um, in, in bearing each other's burdens. Um, so we won't do that recap exercise. We'll just go straight into the prison epistles, uh, which are Philippians. And we know they were written when Paul was a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. Um, uh, references to his imprisonment, I think, are put in, in your handout there in Philippians, Colossians, these three are the, 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 the prison epistles. Um, and, we're, yeah, we'll, we'll just go straight on. We'll jump along because I don't want to um, think that we didn't get it all covered. Let's jump straight into Philippians. Um, the background, so on, on your notes, it's 5.0 we're on now, um, Philippians. Um, the background... Um, is, is, is Philippians is the one prison epistle out of those three that was sent separately from the three others. And it, this is an amazing epistle. It, it, it's like a thank you letter um, for the support and generosity of the church at Philippi. The style of writing of Philippians is very informal. It's unstructured and written towards the end of AD 62. Um, Philippi, a major city in the Roman province of Macedonia, uh, it took its name from its founder, Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great, who I'm sure you'll have heard of. Um, when the Greek Empire fell to the Romans, Octavian turned Philippi 
into a Roman colony, Acts 16, verse 12. It, it meant that it was independent of provincial administration, that it had its own form of local government. It was a bit special within the Roman Empire in that, that you know, it, it was very sort of um, unique. Uh, it was populated mainly by ex-military personnel. Perhaps this explains why the Romans felt they could give it um, a lot more freedom. Ex-military personnel who were encouraged to retire there. So it was a bit like, I don't know, the Southport or the, the Bournemouth, depending which part you come from, of the, the Roman Empire. Lots of um, Roman soldiers been going along on wheelchairs and <laughs> no, I don't know. But anyway, um, before it was a it, it was a military rather than a commercial center, there were a few Jews there. So when Paul visited Philippi on his second missionary journey, which is in Acts 16, tells you what happened. He didn't go to a synagogue because there were hardly any Jews there. Um, that, that was his normal custom. Wherever he went, he'd go to a synagogue. When he got to Philippi, there's no synagogue. So uh, he went to a place of prayer by a river, Acts 16, 13. And that's where, does anyone remember the name of the person who was there? Um, woman, whom he met by the river. She became a Christian. Begins with Al. Lydia. Lydia. Yes, well done. Yep, Lydia uh, became a Christian, and the Church of Philippi was born a result of of, Philipp, of, of Paul going to that place of prayer. Um, and the Christians, when they first started meeting, because it wasn't a synagogue or anywhere to meet, they started meeting outside the city by the river. We don't know for how long. Acts sixteen sixteen. It always sort of like I'd love to see the DVDs of some of these, uh, you know, church meetings. But it sounds quite idyllic, doesn't it? Sort of on a day like today, meeting by the river, not on Zoom, by the river. Um, anyway, uh, as um, but the 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 word. Remember, Paul and Silas were imprisoned following the casting out of a fortune telling spirit from a slave girl. And when they were in prison, Paul and Silas prayed in the inner prison. Remember, earthquake shook the building, all their chains broke, prison guard and all his family were saved and baptized. And then they released Paul and Silas. Um, and Paul visited Philippi for a second time on his third missionary journey. Now, when this letter is written, it's about 11 years since he went to the river and met Lydia for the first time. And Paul is now in prison in Rome, tells us that in Philippians 1 verse 13. And the Philippian church have sent a man called Epaphroditus with their greetings to, to Paul in prison. Not, 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 it's a fair degree of, of liberty that he had, but it was sort of house arrest, really. Uh, and they've sent him with their greetings and financial help, we read in chapter 4 verse 18. And they provided regularly for Paul in the past. And... Um, while he was taking the, the gift to Paul, Epaphroditus had become ill, we learn, uh, and had nearly died. And, but he'd recovered and Paul was sending him back to the church, fully restored to health and strength and carrying the letter of thanks. We now know as the epistle to the Philippians. So there's a story. There's, there's such wonderful, rich background, isn't there, to some of these letters? And this is what we said at the beginning. It's life. It's real. It, it, it's stuff that's going on. So. Philippians, as we said, it's the most personal of Paul's letters um, amongst those not addressed to an individual. This church, he seemed to really have a close relationship with. They'd faithfully supported him financially over many years. And saying thank you for their support is his primary purpose. But he takes the opportunity to update and give them some words of encouragement at the same time. 
doesn't seem to be any major problems with the church in Philippi. And, and Paul does stress, though, still because it's still, after having got gritty with the Galatians, it's still there that watch out for Judaism as he works out. I think called, uh, you know, be careful about them. There's a couple of women who don't get on well with each other. He says, come on, sort it out, guys. But, it, but there isn't some major doctrinal issue. Um, you sense as you read it just that love that he has for the Philippian church and you feel if Paul wasn't in prison if Paul sort of stopped being a traveling apostle which church would he love to settle in I think it probably would have been the church at Philippi he, he just seemed to love that church and um, so three main um, you know there isn't there aren't sort of a, a clear structure to Philippians but there's three themes if you like interwoven throughout the letter joy attitudes and the gospel so if you look at those uh, rather than try and work out some fancy structure that wouldn't work so if we look at joy um you know philippians 1 verse 18 yes i'll continue to rejoice philippians 1 verse 18 not going to do the breakout activity um but you just find it philippians 1 verse 3 he every time he thinks of the philippians it's, it's full of joy um what, reasons to be happy 1 verse 18 because the gospel continues to be preached reasons to be happy i believe i'm going to be released um reasons to be happy chapter 2 verse 2 you're growing in humility making me happy reasons to be happy personal sacrifice of christ for me chapter 2 verse 17 uh, reasons to be happy the gifts and goodwill that you've shown towards me over many years makes me happy guys i'm just full of joy and um but he's not just content to be joyful in himself he tells them look i'm happy you be happy um too he tells them you know finally my brothers rejoice in the lord philippians 3 verse 1 philippians 4 verse 4 rejoice in the lord also i'll say it again rejoice um they're rejoicing he points them to christ you're rejoicing it's in the lord a source of joy that's independent of circumstances doesn't matter if you're in lockdown doesn't matter if you're moving house if you're packing your bags once this session's finished, Carol, um, you know, and, and moving about, it doesn't matter if the builders have come in and wrecked your house. You know what? My joy isn't in those circumstances or whatever's going on in your life. My joy is in the Lord for reasons to be happy. Um, then he, that's one theme. And then the second is attitudes, the way we think. So he tells them, um, you know, come on, guys, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, uh, attitude, that's in chapter two, verse five, attitude. Um, look at human success. Just look at it as absolute rubbish. Um, just it's, it's just not worth it. I've got part of it. It's not worth it. That is not what success is. It's success is the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Wow. There's an attitude to have my attitude, your attitude. You know, is it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I've got this joy. And I know tonight, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, I can just know Christ. I can talk to him. I come in reverence. I come in fear, but I can talk to him. Uh, uh, humbly, I can approach, but we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, and attitude, you know what? Even if I'm suffering, I'm, there's a willingness to share in Christ's sufferings. Uh, so, because if I share in his sufferings, I'm going to share in his resurrection. You need both, uh, chapter 3, 10 to 11. Um, I, I, I'm reaching, my attitude, chapter 3, 12 to 16, is reaching towards the heavenly goal. Um, it's important 
you know, uh, on the thought life, Paul says, set your minds on what is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And, you know, all of these points, the first of them is drawn from the key passage is chapter two, verse five to 11. And, you know, let this attitude be the same as it is in Christ. Scholars generally agree that this is an ancient hymn or maybe a creedal statement in honour of Christ, which was composed either by Paul, possibly by Paul or possibly by someone else. And he put it into his letter at this point because of its appropriateness. And um, it, it's the view of the passage is reflected in the setting of the text in, in, in poetic form in many versions of the New Testament, just Christ's self-humiliation, chapter two, five to eight, and the view that his, you know, exaltation by the Father in chapter two, nine to 11. Okay, then finally the gospel in, in Philippians, Paul uses the term the gospel to denote the faith, the body of truth he's preached and that he rejoices, you know, in the Philippians are gonna live out. So chapter one, verse five, he rejoices in their partnership in the gospel, that his chains have served to advance the gospel, one verse 12. The gospel is his lifestyle, chapter one, verse seven, and his teaching defends it, chapter one, verse 16. And he urges them, come on, all that I'm saying to you, love you guys so much, so happy about your joy, now live a life, so happy about your attitudes, live a life, one verse 27, live a life worthy of the gospel. Um, and just so happy others have contended by his side in the case of in the cause of the gospel and uh, just thanks them again for supporting him since their first acquaintance with the gospel chapter 4 verse 15. So just when you look at that brief overview of Philippians what, what strikes you when you think about where it was written from? Anyone want to comment? Feel free to unmute yourselves. Uh, I'd like to comment, and you might not like to hear what I've got to say, though, uh, because uh, it comes across to me that Paul is nearly saying to these Philippians, earn, earn your love. I mean, because we, we were talking in the breakout, well, I was in the breakout room saying it is a natural thing, you know, because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, and by his spirit, we are driven on because it's a joy to do that. But it almost comes across that, that Paul is saying to these people, come on, guys, as you're just saying, Dave, come on, guys, try harder. Well, that's not what it's all about, is it? It's about the joy of the Lord, the joy of the, the spirit inside of us. So yeah. I, I, I get a bit of a negative feeling about that a little bit with what you were just saying. Sorry. Thanks, <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's there is there's always this tension. You're absolutely right, and and I think there's always this tension that we face, isn't there? Sometimes of it's by grace, it's by faith we receive, and yet there's also um, and throughout Paul's letters, there's you know th there's some very clear um, directions and instructions, and um, I think for me, I think when you take the whole letter. And I don't know, I mean, I felt quite excited just speaking to you about it. Just mm. the joy, the happiness, and the reasons to be happy. Mm. If I'm happy about something, um, there is far less effort I put into it. Um, you, you, now, it isn't always the case. Sometimes I don't feel happy about stuff, and I've just really got to grip my teeth and do something. Um, but I think, yeah, he... he 
It's like almost if you're trying to have a difficult conversation with someone, you build a bridge, don't you? You can't have a difficult conversation with someone with whom you have no relationship. You, you've got to build a strong bridge if you're going to have that difficult conversation, whatever it is with somebody. And Paul is not even looking, I don't think he's even looking for a difficult conversation here. He's just sort of so happy with these people, so full of praise for them, uh, but he's just wanting the absolute best for them. Go on, Carol, you put your hand up. I think what he's doing, I understand what Anne's saying as well, but um, I think what he's doing is he's, he's confirming what they're doing. He, what he's saying is, um, I'm encouraging you because I can see that you, you, have, you have Jesus at the heart of what you're doing. And, it, and it's almost like an observation or a set of observations that he's making and saying that this is, this is how we do it, you know, uh, with, with Jesus at the heart, this is what happens. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right, that's right. Mm. Um, I, I think, yeah, no, thanks both um, Anne and Carol for really good contributions. Yeah, that's really great. Let's, uh, time is going and I'm aware we're, we're not looking as if we're going to get all of these letters done. Let's push on very quickly and I'm going to go, I'm going to go at lightning speed here. So if you're following in your notes, I don't want it to be totally meaningless that so you might as well just read your notes and we might stop. Um, but let, let's, just look at Colossians. So um, thanks for those contributions, Carol and Anne. Very good. Um, so Colossians, uh, you've got a bit about the background. It was this, uh, you know, relatively compared to Philippi, a minor uh, city, um, not, not, not as important. Um, Paul actually never visited Colossae. The, the, one of his co-workers, Epaphras, who founded it um, while Paul was in Ephesus. And Epaphras was with Paul in Rome and may even have been in prison with him, we think. And um, this letter was carried by Tychicus, um, who all accompanied the converted slave Onesimus on his return to his master Philemon. Um, so Epaphras, who'd founded the church, comes back to Paul, and while Paul is in prison, tells him the condition of the church. And since Onesimus and Tychicus were going back to Colossae, Paul uses the occasion to, to write this letter and it contains references to what has become known as the Colossian heresy. Um, so in some ways, it's, in many ways, it's a twin book to the letter of Ephesians, um, and uh, two cover much common ground. If you look at Ephesians and look at Colossians, it, there's a similarity about them. Uh, and like Ephesians, which you're going to look at later on, it's got two distinct halves. When you get in some of these more doctrinal books, there's clear structure to it. Um, the first half being primarily doctrinal, the second half, practical. Lots of Paul's letters are like that, doctrinal, practical, two halves. And Colossians, one of the most wonderful things about Colossians is it's perhaps one of the most Christ-centered books in the Bible, stressing the supremacy of Christ and the completeness of salvation in him. Mm. So we've got in chapter one, if you look at those headings on the handout, we've got the preeminence of Christ, um, just talking about, you know, the supreme wisdom of God in Christ and how this should affect the way Christians live. Um, he shows Christ preeminent in creation, preeminent in the work of redemption, and preeminent in the church. And Paul explains that Christ is the only answer to the heresy that some had entertained, uh, for in Christ full, lives the fullness of a deity in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ. Um, all they need is Christ, not the alternatives on offer, which are fine-sounding arguments, chapter 2, verse 4, human tradition, chapter 2, verse 8, legalistic rituals, chapter 2, 11 to 17, or mysticism or asceticism. 
and, and these elements seem to have combined to in, in the Colossian heresy, a deceptive philosophy, Paul calls it. And, and the Colossian heresy, basically, it sort of blended Jewish legalism, uh, some Greek philosophical, philosophical speculation, oriental mysticism, put them all together. And it may have been an early form of the Gnosticism that took hold strongly in the second century after Christ, which we'll come on to some of those when we look at Christology, some of those heresies. Then the second half is the practice of the Christian. Um, chapter three, um, you know, just look to, to, to four, verse 18, just looking at it is since you've been saved, three verses, one to three, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And, and then, you know, you've got to put to death. And, and I think, and this is, you know, there's more work here to do. Put to death what belongs to the earthly nature. Put off this old self with its practices. Put on the new it's self, infinite. which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Um, unity. And peace should be the hallmarks of their community. Uh, great family work relationships, the way they deal with outsiders and in their conversation. And in the final paragraphs, um, you know, it just goes into some of the details behind the letter. He says again, remember my chains. Um, don't know about you guys, but I, I look at this and I think, well, you know, this is a man who's, uh, you know, not in, 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 a, in, in a far worse form of lockdown, probably just one chain when he talks about remember my chains. It was probably one chain at that at that time um, is the way people under house arrest would be. But, you know, he's going through this and he's just so thoroughly Christ centred um, in what he does. I'm going to very briefly sum up because our time has gone, but I just do want to point out some of these things. Thessalonian letters. Um, are, uh, you know, um, are, are just sort of um, more to do with, if, if you look at the notes, um, look, you know, looking back, reflection on the Thessalonians, it, it's looking forward, looking at how to live a holy life. And also when you go into um, second Thessalonians, you know, explaining the day of the Lord is the key thing um, that's there, as well as sort of correcting issues that they had. The pastoral epistles are really, again, a bit like Philippians, but even more so, chatty letters to Paul, Timothy and Titus, helping them to look at um, church issues and how actually to, you know, behave pastorally towards the church. And I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to um, leave you to look for those. You've, you've got some pointers in your handout, um, but going to leave you to, to look through those things because time has gone. We need to have a break if we're going to get on to talking about Jesus, which I'm desperate for us to be able to do after a coffee break.